Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Yusuf Ahmed Rimawi, Robert Martin and Nasser Al-Mashni. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Australia's only radio program that is totally dedicated to the Palestinian cause in English language. And in today's episode, we will continue the ongoing Palestinian Nakba and we will listen to Nasser's story. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. And good morning. Good morning, Yusuf. Good morning, Nasser. Good morning, Nasser and Robert. Now, last week we covered uh, the Nakba beginning in around 1897, uh, and it's still going today, but we're going to start off at between 1947 and 1948, uh, something that doesn't get spoken about enough, and a lot of Israelis, I suppose, deny the fact that this happened. Mm. Well, uh, that's right, uh, Robert. Uh, 19 uh, or 1897 was the beginning of the making of Nakba and the uh, the the peak of Nakba was in 1948 and uh, yesterday uh, the Palestinian community in Melbourne uh, commemorated the 69th anniversary of Nakba and there was um, uh, a strong time, yeah? swelling of uh, of community organisations of young old Nakba generation you know my children my mother, so the, a great representation of Australians of all backgrounds uh, showing the solidarity with um, Palestine on the 69th uh, commemoration of the ethnic cleansing. And also moving. Australian supporters. Australia, a lot of, and Jewish supporters. And, Jewish supporters. And, and excitingly, what was great to see was the um, uh, mass saltwater challenge that we undertook yesterday, and uh, mm. that's since been posted on, on various Facebooks, so I'm sure we'll, well done, everybody, for that. And the context for that is in relation to the mass hunger strike of the Palestinian Prisoners. It's now twenty uh, sixth day, twenty seventh morning. Twenty seventh. Well, yeah. Yes, that's right. So, uh, in demand of human uh, humane treatment uh, by the Israeli uh, authorities, demanding equal equal demanding rights that are given to everybody. So, you know, the right to make a phone call, the right for visitation. The right, uh, you to know, education, to, to hospital care, to books. But but that's right. But most importantly, to stop the medical negligence. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as of uh, 1948, the Palestinian society was in total shock. Mm-hmm. It was a shock. It was something that nobody ha- expected to have seen. And why you would back, you? Why would why you? would you? But again, the, the, you know, to understand the what went through the minds of the uh, the Palestinians who were in Palestine in, in 1948, you have to go back to the uh, collection of stories and uh, even uh, uh, novels and songs and the shared me- the collective mem- memory of Palestinians. And you will see that it was a total shock, like a disaster happening overnight. Yeah. The fact that they have, and it took it took them 
maybe good two years to realize that they are not going to go back and return. So they started... Uh, Which is against international law. Absolutely. You have it's, to have the right of against, return. against the UN Resolution 194. And it should be clear that, you yeah. know, Israel's admission into the United Nations was yes. preconditioned on the fulfillment of 194. And, and, and 194 remains unfulfilled. Otherwise, I'd, I wouldn't be an Australian. And, Yusuf wouldn't be, have been born in Saudi Arabia and we, he wouldn't be here. What, what, what does Israel say to that today? Well, they're, today, they're not held to account. They don't answer it. And like everything else. They would respond to it with the most racist answer, saying mm-hmm. that accepting the right of return would change the demographia in Israel well, to, the, to the limit that it will end the Jewish state. Yeah. And therefore, uh, their uh, refusal of the right of return, <coughs> excuse me, is totally based on the majority of Jewish uh, yeah. nation. An ethnos- ethnocracy. Anyway, this is, this is the, um, we're talking about 48, but from 48 to 2017, and here we are, you know, w- way into May of 2017, there's the ongoing Nakba. Hmm. I think it's important to just quickly highlight the stages. The first three, four years before the st- establishment of United Nations Relief and Work Agency, the UNRWA, mm-hmm. Uh, the Palestinians had to seek help from whatever remaining of Palestine or their neighbors and the other communities. And we're talking about 800,000 Palestinians who were kicked out of Palestine to Lebanon, Syria, West Bank, Gaza, Jordan. So before UNRWA, they had no aid. They would be living on whatever charity of their neighbors and other Palestinians. But after the the UNRWA, the international community um, established a, a UN body, particularly for the relief and works uh, purposes of the Palestinian refugees, not for the return. It's, it mm-hmm. wasn't to help them return to their villages, but to uh, 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 stabilize their uh, statelessness, I would say. Yeah. However, we have to say that we are grateful to the role of the United Nations because they provided, they provided free health, they provided free uh, education, and a little bit of job opportunities. We should say, though, whilst we're, whilst we're grateful, it was their responsibility because they created the situation mm. by taking, uh, 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 by illegally imposing an unjust solution upon an indigenous, pe- indigenous people mm. uh, based on the crimes of a European disease. Absolutely. We, Look, we were made to pay for Nazism, and it, that's not fair. It is not fair. He's still paying and today. It, it is no, it's nowhere a reflection of the justice that happened um, but from my own experience, because my both parents uh, found themselves with mm. nothing, with no aid from the Arab countries, from Jordan, from, uh, I don't want to mention names mm-hmm. because all of them, uh, but from the UNRWA. Yeah. And in our, uh, in, in, in our culture, um, they, 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 would, they would be regarding the United Nations uh, card as something as valuable as your your own passport, mm-hmm. because without yeah. that, you you, you will be yeah. the, the horrible no truth. Though is that your people shouldn't need mm. to have it. Yeah, they so, should have been allowed to so stay at home in their homes. But the reality of the situation is we needed, it. and the, and aside from the sustenance and shelter, mm. the next very best thing the UNRWA did was start schooling. Schooling, health. So uh, the second stage, of course, we're talking about eighteen years between Nakba and Naksa, between forty eight. 
and 67. In this 18 years, a lot of things have happened, especially depending on where you are in West Bank or in Gaza or inside Israel, because the Palestinians who remained in Israel were under military law. Military martial law. Martial yeah. law. Curfews, you know. And for 20 years. And this is in complete uh, refute of the of, of Israel. Uh, this is in complete contradiction to Israel's claims that it is a civil society or a democratic state. So for 20 years, this group had to live under martial law. The other groups who were in refugees in West Bank and Gaza, of course, they started a new life, uh, hoping that one day they will return to where they are from. Mm -hmm. uh, but then came Nexa, which is the 1967 Can, can I just digress slightly? How did they use, what, what forces did they use to drive the people away? Because you read in some books, mm. and, you know, they, they mm. fled. And, I mean, it's regardless. Mm. I've, I know a lot, and I'm just hoping that you might be able to tell me some of the blatant terrorism that was used to flee them. So we know that um, the terrorist Jewish paramilitary organizations, the Irgun, Stern, Haganah, used terrorist uh, tactics, uh, Robert, to, to drive the Palestinians out. The massacres at Deir Yassin, they would surround villages in the north, according to Plan Dalet, uh, from the south, east and west, to force those Palestinian villages to, to Lebanon. Way, yeah. And, and, and in, um, uh, if, they were, uh, have, if they had designated for the village to go south, they would you know, surround it. Right. in those other three sites. And so between poisoning wells, blowing up houses, killing the, the leaders of the village, um, you know, spreading fear from massacres and allowing some survivors to rush north, south, east, yeah. yeah? Killing enough and leaving enough misery, but then letting enough survivors go to spread the terror. And this yeah. is how they were able to clean, you know, ethnically yeah. cleanse, clean Palestine of its Palestinians. Because I, I remember reading just a small section and there were... I suppose transcripts from the from the IDF or the Ergen, whoever they were at the time, saying that they had to kill a number of people who were actually coming back to collect their things, and it's blatant in mm. writing there. And because it's just that's that's true, Robert. Because uh, uh, thousands of Palestinians uh, went back on foot from wherever wherever they are yeah. to their homes. Uh, some of them were killed; others were banned from or or had no access to their properties. And the third group had to look for a third uh, place. Like, for example, what happened with Mahmoud Darwish, the Palestinian poet. He is from the mm. village of Al-Shajara. But when he fled to Lebanon and then the next year, uh, his father put him on his shoulders and came back to Palestine. They didn't. They went to Al-Shajara, but it was also, I would say, Al-Birwe. My apologies, Al-Birwe village. But then they found it, that it, 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 it was gone. Uh, gone. So they went to Kufr Asad. Yeah. So then came uh, the 1967 war, and um, uh, it was, I would say, I would argue that the Nexa or the 67 defeat was more painful because the, the hope that they made in the makeup, you know, you are a refugee, but we're going to go back one day. We are going to go back uh, maybe by resistance or by um, international communities intervention. There, there, there was hope. And again, yeah. I would encourage everybody who can go back to the archive of the Palestinian society from 48 to 67 to read about the discourse, especially in Arabic. And, and, and as we speak, uh, Nasser, uh, today, Ramallah, 
convened uh, uh, the first conference for Arab writers in Ramallah, wow. where novelists came from many Arab countries and in, in an attempt to bring life to the pro-Palestine Arab solidarity. And they will, they, they, they spoke about the, the, the literature in 48 and 67. And so what I say that the hope that the Palestinians had for 18 years uh, to return to Palestine or to liberate Palestine uh, was crushed again on, 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 on June, uh, 1967. And that was, uh, uh, I would say, the real, the real defeat that Palestinians conceded. Mm. And in 48, yes, they were defeated, but it was the Arabs. Mm. Again, the 67, it was the Arabs, but they actually uh, 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 visualized They knew what was it, to come. I mean, visualized the yeah, defeat. Having lived 19 years of And having to flee again. Having to move again, absolutely. Um, I think before the break, I want to quickly uh, uh, say to what happened to my to my grandfather in sixty seven, mm-hmm. who was a refugee in forty eight, who started uh, a life near Jed- near Jericho. Back then, my father had been in Saudi Arabia, a young twenty one year old uh, young man who's trying to start a life. Uh, so Nexa happened uh, for, to to his parents and families. And when I was in Jordan last year, I spoke to my auntie, my father's sister, for the first time. For the first wow. time, she spoke about what happened 49 years ago. Mm-hmm. And she explained in about 45 minutes the three days that she was on foot from Jericho to Amman. She was eight months pregnant. Oh. And she had... Two, old, two, two young uh, kids with her, without her husband. All she had was her younger brother. And, of course, when describing the three days of an, uh, an eight-month pregnant it's woman, horrific. a 31-year-old woman, uh, how to, uh, to, to have, first of all, uncertainty. Because you want to go from Jerusalem. She wasn't in Jericho. So she, she was saying, what do I do? Do I go to, 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 to my parents in Jericho or do I just go to Jordan? Or do I go to our village in Beit Rima? So they started Beit Rima route. And then the next day they, they knew that Ramallah uh, fell. So they had to walk back again the same distance towards the uh, Jerusalem-Jericho junction. And then they took on foot again, uh, uh, they went to Jericho. Luckily, she bet that her dad will wait for her. And her dad was waiting. That's beautiful. He was waiting. And I remember my grandfather, when he was walking, he would be putting his hands behind his back in anticipation. She described how my grandfather, Yusuf, I was named after him, Actually, she portrayed wow. she portrayed how he was waiting for her, and when she had arrived, everybody fled. Again, they went to the bridge, and Israel actually bombed bombed the bridge. This this unlike in forty eight where they wanted the Palestinians out. This time they wanted to inflict more pain. Mm-hmm. They wanted to inflict more pain, but nevertheless they made it to Jordan, and it's another journey now yeah. uh, in, in in Jordan. So the sixty seven defeat. I would say this is the, the, the defeat that the Palestinians visualized mm-hmm. and that still affects the, every, every, every Palestinian 50 years on. Well, one, one of the things, can I uh, just speak to that, Yusuf? One of the realities of the 67 defeat, and you, know, you look at the um, revisionist Israeli historians, yeah, and you got Elan Pape, who you know, is a wonderful human being, but you've also got Zionist uh, thug apologists like Bernie Morris. 
and they talk about the 67 war as being a missed opportunity. Mm. The tanks were too quick. Our tanks got to the Jordan River and there were still Palestinians behind it. We didn't do what we were supposed to do like what we did. We should have gone gone slower. It should have taken us four or five weeks and that would have enabled us to get rid of everybody. So in fact, the 67, the the fact that they went so quickly, because if they had cleansed the West Bank and Gaza as they had Palestine proper, then our presence in our ancient homes would be even more minuscule. And in fact, they may have succeeded in destroying the identity of a Palestinian. But the fact that they were so successful but unsuccessful Mm. has been the greatest thorn in their side. Mm. Now they rule an apartheid state where 50% of the population yeah. doesn't get to vote. And mm. that, is, that is exactly uh, uh, why occupation needs to end, because it's been 50 years and we're heading towards the 50th anniversary of the occupation yeah. of West Bank. And we don't, have good, we don't need to list reasons why the occupation should end. Uh, but to say the least, uh, the Nakba and Naksa and the long list of of items on our suffering uh, has to come to an end. Of course. Well, it needs to be recognised as well mm-hmm. as, that as a fact that it did happen. And the Israelis need to start telling their, their children you know, how they were born. I mean, how, how Israel was born out of butchery. Uh, Nasser, I believe you have a song. Well, you know, most people don't know, Yusuf. Most people don't know just what a um, a great supporter of Palestine our next uh, our, our uh, next artist is. Don't, maybe don't say that who it is then. We'll put the yeah. song on. Are we going to surprise them? We should surprise them. But I yeah. mean, you know, I, our listeners will be really surprised. I am and, surprised already. You know, he's a fantastic supporter of Palestine. So <laughs> I can't wait for this year. So. <laughs> we are going to surprise you guys. This is fantastic. With our next artist. So stay tuned. And you're listening to Palestine. Remembered on 855 a.m. Gentlemen, you're really a fantastic audience. Wise men say Only fools, only fools are sure Oh, I, I can't Falling in love with And that was Elvis Presley live in Hawaii, 1972, the first international broadcaster of a musician to a billion people and a you know huge supporter of justice for the Palestinians. Were you surprised there, Robert? No, I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised. My, uh, my, Listen, yeah, anybody I'm, I'm with not... that much love in their heart could not be but on the side of the Palestinians. Anyway, moving on to more. If you're on the side of justice, absolutely. Yeah. Unequivocally, that's what you're going to do. And Elvis was all about the love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, every week I learn something on this show, and that is something that I've learned. And Yusuf, you've... I have you've learned. Taken... I'm very surprised. I'm still surprised. Yeah. No, fantastic. Thanks well, for that. Well, you know, just on that, and next week we'll play a Michael Jackson song. Michael Jackson was also a very big supporter of the Palestinians. Looking forward to it. No, no, there's lyrics in a song. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll bring Moving it. on to uh, what happened after 67. Yeah. And, um, you know, we talk about uh, post-67 and, you know, my interpretation of it reinvigorating, in fact, the Palestinian struggle. And from there, we really saw the PLO, you know, after 65 and through 67, really the struggle for Palestinian liberation and the freedom fighters, the Fidei'in. I think the importance of the Palestinian revolution is that for the first time, the Palestinians decided to be the masters of their own destiny. And they realized that relying on Arabs will lead to 
more fair. We don't want to be harsh on the Arab regimes or the Arabs who fought for Palestine because I know that a lot of Egyptians, uh, a lot of Syrians and Jordanians have died. But it, uh, apart from that, th- th- there was failure. Mm-hmm. They could not actually uh, keep Palestine. In fact, from one failure to another. And that was it, th- that's why it was important for the Palestinians to be the masters of their own destiny. Okay. Uh, and this is the essence of revolution. And of course, the stages from 65 to 68, uh, which is a year, the first confrontation after Nexa happened in March, to, uh, in March 1968. And uh, the Fidaiyin uh, proved that uh, the Israeli army is undefeatable. They proved it wrong, and they were defeated in March 68 in Al-Karama battle. Mm-hmm. And of course, what led after the expulsion of PLO from uh, Jordan to Lebanon, and of course, the Lebanese civil war, all that happened, and the Palestinians remained in their statelessness. The occupation continued, and in fact, the beginning of the settler uh, project, and the beginning of the Judaization of uh, Jerusalem, And so so it was not that these stages were in relay. This was Mm -hmm. one thing constant is the uh, injustice against the Palestinian people. And while that is happening, there were other other things. things So the Mm, uh, multi-layered Nakba. Nasser, I'm not going to do injustice to the uh, topic and uh, fast forward and touch on briefly on what happened in 82, first Intifada, and then the 90s, uh, second Intifada. We will definitely come back Mm -hmm. uh, to that in future. Now, Yusuf, you gave a a very moving uh, story of your Nakba last week, and I'd like to hear Nasser's because it's more than an intellectual discussion. There's a huge emotional part of this that every Palestinian goes through, and I think our our listeners deserve to hear that. So would you mind giving us uh, yeah. sort of what you've been through, Nasser? Yeah, th- thanks, Robert. Thanks, Yusuf. One of the, um, you know, if you, if you go back, my father was born in 1926 and grew up in Jerusalem, and I've said previously on the show, in a biblical, uh, in a, you know, an angelic time, because it didn't matter if you were a Christian, Jew or a Muslim, you were, everybody went to school on Monday. Um, and we played marbles together in the temple, mosque or, or church. Monday we played marbles together. Um, but with with the rise of Zionism and the mass influx of um, uh, Europeans who celebrated God on Saturday uh, post World War Two, my father was um, fought in the in the resistance, the Palestinian resistance against uh, this illegal immigration, fought for the liberation of Palestine, was um, uh, fought with um, many many different Palestinian fighters, and in fact was injured in the late, 40, late 40s and imprisoned in a Jewish hospital in uh, West Jerusalem, what is West Jerusalem now, and uh, was fed by our Jewish neighbours who my, my grandparents couldn't get to him, but our Jewish neighbours who were Palestinian would take food from their dinner table to dad. Um, he escaped in 47 and, and in 48 um, fought, um, was caught by the Jordanians and him, you know they, they took him into uh, custody. He escaped from there and continued his... Um, Uh, fight, uh, eventually escaping through to Lebanon and the American University in Beirut did a degree there and um, found his way through a lecturer who said, you know, there's an opportunity for me to get you to Australia, came to Australia, uh, landed... What what year was that? That was in 1953. I had landed in Tullamarine Airport without anybody here, barely a suitcase, no money in his pocket. Uh, He met uh, who we call Uncle Wally now, took him uh, under his wing and lived with uh, Uncle Wally and his family, Auntie Nita. Um, 
and fast forward, met my mum, three kids, a business. But aside from the pain of his struggle, and from from 1948 till 1985, 38 years, his brothers didn't know he was alive. Oh. His mother and father passed without him knowing. Mm. Now, because of his work in the resistance, you know, his work with the PLO, his work uh, with um, uh, in in the forties, he was always wary of announcing that he was alive for fear of what the retribution would be to his family. Yep. Because, you know, he was a wanted person. And so for 38 years they didn't know he was alive. Um, and then they knew he was alive and we, we met them. So then, But then you go, what, what does that mean to, to his children, to his wife? And there's a very famous story. My uh, mother... My father met my mother and said, you know, you just got to know something, I'm married. And she said, well, I'm not going to be a second wife. And he said, look, it's not a woman. I'm married to Palestine. And my mother, God love her, said, oh, you know, (laughs) that bitch has got no chance. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure she didn't use those words. And sorry, mum. But she found out, in fact, she had no chance. Such was my father's love for Palestine. But our whole life, we lived with a father who was absent. He was present but absent. At any time, willing to sacrifice himself for his people. Lived with the guilt of having survived. The guilt of all of his friends and family, those that fought and you know, martyred themselves in, in the hope of holding Palestine for, you know, Palestine, for Palestinians. And he was prepared at any time to go back. When he was to be called up, he, you know, he was in a constant state of readiness. But what did that mean for us? We were, we had a father who was absent physically many times, whether he went back to, to the Arab world in, and participated in uh, the PA, uh, at the time the PLO and the PNC. Um, when, when he was home, you know, he was organising um, Palestinian activism and, uh, you know, all over the country. And this was before Virgin and, you know, $100 mm-hmm. flights. He would drive for weeks on end, you know, collecting money for... Uh, refugees in Sabran Shatila in 82 or whatever it might have been. And this is also before the pro-Palestine sentiment. Oh, this, this is when, you know, every, every Australian believed in, in the movie The Exodus when Paul Newman mm. said there was this plucky little country and, you know, these people have turned the, um, uh, turned the soil green, yeah? Um, and, but then, whether it be May 14 or 15 or whether it be June 6th, whether it be remembering Shemad Abdel Nasser's death or whether it be Sabran Tishatila, Abu Jihad, just the pain, yeah, mm. and uh, the tears, yeah. So that that pain comes to us. And we were fed that pain and were never able to alleviate him. Mm. And sadly, you know, all that being as it is, uh, I'm so very thankful that he gave us a sense of who we are and our responsibility to our people, and that he died at peace. And I say he died at peace. You know, he died at 81 years of age, and he saw the three, his three sons educated, married, assimilated, participating fully in the wonderful world that is Australia. But he saw his grandkids, and he saw his grandkids in kafirs, saying free, free Palestine. And he knew that our struggle didn't die with him. I give him That's the credit of uh, trans, uh, translating the pain into something positive, into something uh, that would last forever, 
would last with you, Nasser, with Kamal, with Muammar, and also would last uh, with his uh, grandkids. And uh, so the pain, the negativity of pain didn't just stay negative. It was translated into something that fits in the aspirations of the Palestinians for freedom and independence. And one day it will happen and it will be in memory of your father, of my grandfather, of, the, of those who passed away and didn't see that happen. It's, it's so very sad, the, um, the stories that you hear. I like that. I mean, that's very moving. And I remember your father. He was a very strong man. But, uh, you know, to, to hear that, we will never have an understanding of what he saw or what he went through or that feeling of loss. And, and that's part of what makes me so sad with the industry that we're in, which is, you know, trying to free Palestine is that these voices aren't heard enough. I mean, the, the true stories of what's happened. Israel has a lot to pay for. And we will continue to uh, keep our stories heard and to keep telling them. And uh, hopefully with the support of people like you, Robert, the Australian Solidarity, International Solidarity, Palestine will be free one day. Inshallah. Inshallah. And on this note, uh, I don't think there will be any stronger statement to end a program like this then Palestine will be free one day, inshallah. So uh, with this, we have come to the end of uh, this week's episode of Palestine. Remember, uh, this is Yusuf and Nasser and Robert. Remember to tune in next Saturday, same time, 9.30 in the morning. Until then, have a great time and salam. <laughs>